No one's ever going to give you permission to quit your job. Like no one's going to invite you. Your employer isn't going to invite you to quit your job. Your parents aren't going to be like, why don't you just stop with that paycheck and do something else? So if you're, you know, if we're all brought up to need permission to do things, then you just have to be comfortable with giving it to yourself. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the podcast all about the unexpected paths to a creative career. I'm your host, Rob Goodman. I'm an artist and a marketer, and I am so excited to share our 50th episode of the podcast. It's also celebrating our one-year anniversary, and I could not be more thrilled to present this episode to you all. Thank you to everyone listening. Thanks for making this year so incredible. Live events, merchandise, meeting so many of you listeners out there in the world and meeting amazing guests on this show and bringing you their stories. It's been such a joy doing the show, and I couldn't be happier to celebrate this first year of the show with you. So for this special celebration of one year of Making Ways podcast, I thought it would be fun to have a little bit of a look back on some of the moments from the show that really got me excited and also got you guys excited. I've got some moments from the episodes that I actually heard from listeners who really loved these guests and the advice and insights they had to share. So we're going to be looking back, and I'm going to share some of those with you today. This is by no means a best of. Everyone I've had on the show has been unbelievable. I encourage you to listen to all of our previous episodes, but this is just a little bit of a taste of what we've been doing this past year on Making Ways podcast. And on today's episode, you're really going to hear a lot of different themes emerge. And it's been fun to watch kind of continuing themes emerge as I talk to more and more creative people who have led these amazing winding career paths. So today you're going to learn about giving yourself permission, the permission to go after what you want to make your career and your creative journey what you think it should be. You're going to learn about making the work that you want the world to pay you for, you know, going out and producing the thing and pointing to it and say, okay, that's what I want people to hire me for and not getting kind of drawn into saying yes and having doors open and getting pulled down a career path versus proactively designing what you want to do. You'll learn about the value of the side hustle, meaning building that creative passion into a business on the side of whatever you're doing to maintain a bread and butter kind of career or job and get that income in there. You're going to hear lots of inspiration and advice throughout, and I'm really excited to bring you this episode. Special thanks to our partner for today's show, Scout Books. They're an amazing group of people who make custom notebooks for brands and individuals. I'm in the middle of producing my own scout book for Making Ways that I'm going to be really excited to present to you all very soon. But check out scoutbooks.com. Use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout and you'll get 15% off your first order there. For our first clip for today's show, I'm really excited to share Kelly Inouye. She's an artist. She's an art space owner. And on this episode with Kelly, we talked about rethinking rejection. We talked about continuing your education through mentorship. And Kelly also had this really amazing quote about making artwork and having trouble finding the words to associate with describing art. And this moment from the show was actually called out by friend of the show and listener, 
a designer named Sarah, and she loved this quote from Kelly, which was, if we could explain things, we wouldn't paint about them. And Sarah says, upon reflecting on this quote, it reaffirmed the notion that sometimes words fail us, but that continued investment in our creative voices is important to evolving and becoming better communicators. Sarah Clearman, thanks so much for sharing what this moment in the show meant to you and how it's inspired you to think about art making and design. So let's get things started with Kelly Inouye. You know, it was um, it was a combination of things. Uh, I I had I was living in New York, and I you know, like I said, I was making work and applying to things. I had accumulated quite a stack of rejection letters <laughs> from galleries, <laughs> from, from but I'd also yeah, from ga- from like all sorts of opportunities, residency programs, exhibition opportunities, all sorts of things. But um, so you kept trying, you kept yeah, trying, I kept yeah, trying, yeah. and I did get some things. I got um, one of the things that sustained me throughout those years that I'm so thankful for were programs um, in New York that are run by organizations like the Drawing Center and White Columns. And um, the Drawing Center has a viewing program, which was basically an artist registry. You have to apply and be accepted. But once you're accepted, you can go have studio visits on an annual basis or twice a year. I can't remember what it was with a really accomplished curator that runs the program. And so I would take my portfolio in and meet, I think I met with Luis Kamnitzer a couple times and Nina Kachadorian. Like these are like incredibly accomplished people that yeah. would take the time to sit with you for 40 minutes or whatever and go through your work and your process. And, you know, that it's such a great gift to be able to do that yeah. when, you're, when you just are trying to like piece together time to, right. to have continuity in your work. Yeah, and in a way you were kind of finding your own version of continuing your education. Yeah, And exactly. getting mentorship and feedback so you could keep advancing yes. the work. Yes. And um and so that was that was amazing and and um and they would suggest, you know, potential places to to show the work or for people to talk to. And um and and at a certain point I, so I was applying to things and I was also just like burnt out on my job and like, couldn't really, I'd, I'd met my future husband and we were talking a lot about our five-year plan and like, yeah. well, how, how's that going to work if you're, you know, traveling for weeks at a time, three right. or four times a year? Right. Like I can't, I don't, I don't know. And how and long um, were you in the job at, at that point? I think I was in like seven or eight years. Okay. And, um, and and then I had, I was, oh, I got a, an exhibition opportunity. It was offered a show in a gallery upstate, um, Joyce Goldstein Gallery in Chatham, New York. Cool. And I was awarded a grant and a project space from the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council within a couple weeks of each other. Okay. So and something so, happened. And yeah. Was and so those two opportunities, you know, I was like, oh, this is something like, I don't think I could take advantage of this if I am working full time and have been I'm off to wherever it is I need to go for work. <laughs> right. Like I'm not going to be able to do this. I have to make a choice. Yeah. And so I, I chose to quit my job. So what has been the hardest and most surprising part of being an artist full time and being a gallery and, and curator full time now that you're, you know, you're well into this version of yourself? Um, 
I think it's still the balance of time. Um, and for me, uh, being able to focus, like split my time equally, it's, 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 it is a challenge to not put all of my energy into running the space. Um, I have to be very careful about delineating time for my own studio work, time for Irving Street projects and time for my family. Um, and, and the managing that is, can be complicated, but, um, yeah. And, and just like, I always struggle, like even I was a lit major, I feel like I'm an okay writer, but I always struggle finding the right words, um, to really capture. It's, it's hard to write about art. Like if it were easy, if we could explain things, right, right. we wouldn't paint about them. <laughs> exactly. Like, right. Like that's so the reason it's art. You, you go look at it, you experience it. That's, so, that's so well said. So yeah. finding the right language is a constant struggle, I would say. Okay, next we're going to listen to Alexandra Kennan. Alex is an incredible marketer and writer, and she talks a lot about side hustle. She left Google and she started a side hustle running a hiking tour business throughout the city of San Francisco. She's gone on to be an author of a book about hiking in the Bay Area, and she also works with Wordsmithy, which is a content and writing firm here in San Francisco. And another friend of the show and listener, Julie Kravchik, called out this episode specifically talking about how much she liked the way Alex spoke about this idea of balancing kind of the business that maybe brings in your your money with pursuing this passion and trying to build it up on the side. You know, kind of this not going all or nothing, but giving yourself some leeway to actually creatively grow and test some things out before you go all in. So thanks, Julie, for calling out this moment of making ways and sharing what it kind of meant to you in your journey. Julie is also behind the podcast Datable, which is a lot of fun, and I recommend you check it out. So let's keep things going with a part of our conversation with Alexandra Kennan. Yes. Now, I may just be hearing this phrase a lot because it's kind of in my life, but I've been hearing the phrase side hustle a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I just bought the book by Chris Gillibo, Side Side Hustle. Um, oh, I listened to another podcast on side hustles by this guy, Nick Loper, and Chris Gillibo is his own side hustle podcast. You don't have to go all in. You can kind of dip your toe in the entrepreneurial waters before you go all in and see if you come up with a good idea and it gets traction before taking the big risk of leaving your job. You don't have to get all the way to burnout like I did and quit <laughs> and then start from nothing. Right, I right. wouldn't recommend that unless you are very, you know, you like taking risks. Right, right. So you can always try something to start. Uh, on the side and then go all in if that works well. I like that. I like that. And what's been the biggest surprise for you as an entrepreneur? Like the thing, even going to business school and having these experiences, what's been the biggest surprise? Like, wow, okay, that was not in our discussions or in the textbooks or anything like that. Well, one thing I love about going on my own path and making my own way, I guess, <laughs> is... Excellent use of right? the show's title. Um, is that it, it's interesting because I used to think, you know, from the outside, people used to be like, oh, you work at Google. That's great. But I would look around and say, I'm one of 500 or so product marketing managers. It's really hard to stand out. 
Now, when you're doing your own thing, like creating your own podcast, creating your own company, you really stand out in a way. And it's really nice. And people will recognize you and try to help you. I'm sure, you know, doing your own podcast, people have probably come out of the woodwork either wanting to be on the show or wanting to help you make it a success. And I found the same thing with my business. And it's been really wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so people who know my story, listeners, uh, We'll know that I also was at Google. I left. I started my own marketing business, which I still run, and then started this podcast. And same thing. I found that if you open up to people and you kind of reach out, there's a lot there. People want to give back. They want to give you advice. They want to listen. And going through those periods of trying to sort it out, it's really kind of affirming for humanity and for community. And, you know, all I all I've said after that period is like I all I want to do is keep paying it forward. I want to keep answering questions, keep meeting with people and all that because I got so much from that time that there's no other choice but to keep it keep it going and it sounds like it sounds like you had that that kind of uh experience as well yeah same thing exactly next we're going to hear from wendy chen wendy is one of those people who has led a really incredible life she ran and owned a record store here in san francisco called aquarius records for about 10 years she went on to work at apple and help run the app and music stores there And then she spent a year trying to discover her own creative voice before ultimately deciding on fiber art and being a rope artist. And she's been really thriving in this new creative world that she's created for herself. Besides an amazing journey, Wendy has some really killer advice. And we're going to listen to her talking about giving yourself permission to do the thing that you really want to do. You know, we're taught that if you do X, A, B, and C in your life, then you're going to be successful. And I say that with quotes, not knowing what that means, because it's different for everyone. But the way your parents and society teaches you is that you just do A, B, and C, and you're going to be fine. No one's ever going to give you permission to quit your job. Like, no one's going to invite you. Your employer isn't going to invite you to quit your job. Your parents aren't going to be like, why don't you just stop with that paycheck thing and do something else? So if you're, you know, if we're all brought up to need permission to do things, then you just have to be comfortable with giving it to yourself. And by the time you become a fully functioning adult, you know, it's an adult telling you you're allowed to do it. It's telling the little scared little kid inside of you that you're allowed to do it. You're an adult and we're capable of making sensible, practical, smart decisions. Next up, we're going to listen to Paul Madonna. Paul is a really great guy. I had so much fun meeting him on the show and staying in touch with him. He's an amazing artist and illustrator and drawer and writer. He was the creator of the long-running San Francisco Chronicle column, called All Over Coffee, and he's gone on to write books and do illustrated novels and continue to make really brilliant work. I highly suggest you go back and listen to this full episode where Paul talks all about his creative process, how he uses journals to jot down ideas and actually label and organize them so he can go back and put them into use. But for this clip, we're going to hear from Paul about motivation and the idea of saying yes to jobs just for an opportunity that may seem great in the moment, but long-term could lead you down a career path that really isn't in line with what you want to do or who you want to be. 
Paul also started his career making zines. He worked his butt off for years and years creating this comic and this illustrated work and just putting it out there. And so Paul talks about this notion of creating the work that you want the world to pay you for. And it's really applied in amazing ways to his career, and it could work for you as well. Let's listen to part of our conversation with Paul Madonna. One of the things that I saw and continue to see is a lot of people who want to be artists, I find uh, their motivations to be misplaced. Um, it's not to say that they don't have creative inclinations, but I've, I've met people who, what, they think that it's a lifestyle, and it is a lifestyle. Like on, on the outside, I get up and do whatever I want. From the outside point of view, I have all my time to structure, I travel, I, you know, I, and it's like, wow, look at all that freedom. But that freedom is because I have consciously used my free time in a way that has become productive. So I grew up, my parents were 19 and 20 when they had me. Wow. Uh, they were very young. They started their first business in their early 20s, and they worked together for the next 10 to 15 years, and now they, they still work together. My parents are still together. Yeah. I grew up in their first business was a pizza shop. Then they owned another pizza shop. Then they owned a restaurant. Then they owned a bar. And all this was consecutively, not at the same, you know, yeah. not cumulatively. Where did you grow up? What? Uh, outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Okay, yeah. And uh, I think one of the things that they taught me, not by words, but by example, was that you didn't wait for permission. You got up and you went to work every day. You know, they could have gotten up some days and said, you know, we're, uh, we don't feel like it. We're not going to do it and not open the shop. Uh, I only recently learned a, a great story that, you know, they worked seven days a week, but they said on Sundays they would have a, uh, a number that they wanted to reach. This is the pizza shop really early on. Yeah. So when we sold this number of pizzas, we'd call it a day. And if it was in the afternoon, then we could go to the park. If it was in the evening, we could go to a movie. Right. And they let the uh, the goal dictate when they signed off. Now, we're they have no days off. This is And it's it's that work ethic that I think was instilled in me by just sheer experience. I grew up in an environment that functioned like that. I learned in art school, I realized that a lot of people didn't have this. And, um, and it's one it, of the things they don't really teach in art exactly. school. They don't teach any of the business, the structure. It's just, hey, you know, let's get better at the craft. And then you're released into the wild and it's like, what, what do I do? Well, how do you prioritize? Sure. How do you say these are the expectations of the world, be it uh, money or social or fun, like Friday night. You know, what does a Friday night mean to a 25-year-old? Right. You know, it means something. But often on Friday nights, I would be in my studio. And again, it was about priorities, what mattered to me. And one has to be able to make those decisions. And I, I believe that nothing is gained without sacrifice. And it's not like, oh, willing. I'm not talking religious. I'm not saying like willingly giving things up. But one always has to make a choice. And, um, and it... I believe it's unfortunate, but it is true that some we never get something without giving something up. But what I think it does is it creates value. For example, you know, I, I occasionally take commercial work if they come to me and say, we love you, Paul Madonna, for what Paul Madonna does, because that's what I was talking about earlier. They like my point of view, and they want me to execute something my way right. for their project. Great, I can work with somebody in that way. But if they want to come in and be like, mm, we want this and this... There are other people who do that really well. Yeah, I, I, That's not my forte. 
So my point is that I, I occasionally take work like that, but I've also turned down work like that when I've wanted to work on my own things. And um, I've turned down lucrative offers that were hard to turn down. But at the end of the day, I realized, oh, the value of what I want to do is actually greater than the value of what they're offering. Now I understand how much I can actually put a price now on how much of this means to me to spend the next two weeks editing my book rather than working on a project with them, even though it's a project I would do. And that is invaluable to be able to put that number on and say, wow, now I know what it's worth to me. Does that happen because you prioritize happiness, fulfillment over dollar signs or, or no, it happens because you prioritize the, the book over a, a corporate job. Like what kind of mindset do you think you apply there? See, that's where it gets back to the life's work thing. The over, what is it that I want the world to see from me next? Here's the thing. I, you know, I, I occasionally speak to schools and, and various age groups of students. And depending on who I'm talking to, I have, you know, different things I say, but, um, there, and often with professionals who are working, young professionals, they take jobs just because they have an opportunity. Now, this isn't a criticism of it, but what one has to be aware of is that let's say you do something that you don't really love doing, but you can execute and you have an opportunity to do it. Well, that's what's going to be out in the, in the world with your name on it. Now, everybody who likes that and wants more of it is going to say, oh, you do that. Right. So they're going to call you up and they want you to do that again. Right. And you get pushed and pulled because down the path. Because you show them that. Right. You're like, I can do this. And then, and then you're going to, if you've already made the decision to take money for doing it that way, well, then you're probably going to say yes again. For and, more money. For and more, more money. Yeah. And now you've created a, a loop. You've created a, um, a, a channel to the world. The world says, oh, you can do this. I will give you money. And now you've become dependent on the money and now you're locked in. You've inadvertently boxed yourself in without realizing you thought you were just taking opportunity. So one, it's okay to still do that, but you have to be willing to say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. And so what I encourage people to do who find themselves in that spot is to make the thing they want the world to pay them for and show the world that. And hopefully you'll find somebody out there who says, yeah, yeah, I want more of that. And then you start a new channel. And that is essentially what I do. Throughout this first year of Making Ways, there have been moments in my conversations with guests that have really moved me. And not only when I'm sitting here face-to-face -face, talking to people about their career paths and learning about kind of the moves they made and how they went about finding what they love to do, but we sometimes get into heavier topics about their life, their culture, and so much more. And there have been these surprising times where there's such a raw openness and honesty in the conversation I have with people on the show. It really moves me and stays with me for a very long time. One of those conversations was with artist Sousa Cortez, who is also an instructor at Root Division, the visual arts nonprofit that Making Ways partnered with earlier this year in January. Susa is a performance artist. She creates a wide array of artwork. She's a teacher, and I strongly suggest you check out her work. It's really unique and really special. But I just want to share a small clip of our conversation, one where I asked Susa about what it's like being a Mexican living 
in the United States during these times and what it's like being an artist and being vocal out there, trying to connect with people through artwork, but also just being in tune with yourself and being comfortable with that. So let's hear some really powerful, inspiring words from Sousa Cortez on being loud and being proud. How do you feel living through this time in American and and world culture and and politics? And there's certainly a lot of, you know, horrible language and rhetoric that's coming now from the top. I'm just curious about how your experience has been and and how that's potentially shifted your or shaped your work. I don't know. It's been tough, uh, especially thinking about my family members and uh, people who might not be as safe as I am. Um, and, but I, I don't know. I just want to encourage people to, to, uh, to stay, you know, to just be true to themselves, you know, like not hiding, like being loud and being proud of who you are. I think that's the important thing, no matter where you're coming from or anything, it's just like staying proud. Even after, you know, you get a lot of mean language out there and things like that, you know, just be positive though. Like stop. I mean, I'm not like into confronting like I think confronting is not going to lead to nothing but uh just being loud in your own kind of way through art through making through poetry through you know any of the other outlets out there and just kind of speaking out for for how you feel um I think a lot of people are doing that right now and I think that's great because I mean what we're going to get out of this era I think is going to be a lot of great art influenced by all of these things you know Hey guys, I want to tell you about our partner, Scout Books. Scout Books is based in Portland, Oregon. They make beautiful 100% recycled paper notebooks. And you can customize the design of your notebook, whether you're a brand or you're working on your own creative endeavor or you're any type of organization. They've been such a joy to work with on my own notebook for making ways that you all will see really soon. And if you use the offer code MAKINGWAYS at checkout, you'll get 15% off your first order. And I'm so excited to share that on April 16th, Making Ways will be coming to Portland for Portland Design Week. I'll be interviewing the founder of Scout Books, Laura Whipple. And I'm so excited to go down, check out Portland. You guys should come out if you're in the area. Maybe make a trip if you can. Otherwise, we'll be recording the episode live and sharing it on the podcast very soon. You can learn more about the event at bit.ly backslash making ways dwp that's bit dot ly backslash making ways dwp and that's on april 16th okay let's get back to the show next up we're going to hear from george mccallman george led an incredible career in the magazine world as a designer and a creative director And later on in his career, he took a break and he came back to drawing and he found an amazing flow in becoming an illustrator. And it's really an incredible story. I highly recommend you listening to George's episode. He's very honest, very raw about the challenges he had throughout his career in kind of finding that voice of his and settling into the thing that really gets him creatively excited and also switching gears in really amazing and unique ways. I think you all will get a lot from George's episode. Right now, we're going to hear a clip from my conversation with George talking about this idea of finding flow 
and following that flow towards whatever creative pursuit you are going after. And he also talks really bluntly about not caring about what other people think of your work or your creative path. Let's listen to part of my conversation with George McCallman. But then I would sit down and paint and create something and it wouldn't feel like a waste. It would feel like the best decision I'd ever made. Right. So I basically just felt like a schizophrenic mess all the time. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the reason you were constantly creating because those are the moments when you felt the best. Yeah. And you could make sense of it and say, well, I don't know, but I know this feels good and I know this looks good. I Let me keep going. And the one thing that I never second guessed is when I was creating something. It always flowed. I never second guessed, and I still don't. If I'm sitting down to paint or draw, I don't second guess any of it. And then it's done, and then I'm like, okay, what's next? And and I knew that that was super special, and I knew that that was not the norm, and so I, I valued it. I didn't take it for granted, and I hope I never, ever do, because I feel like it's my secret sauce, you know, the fact that my creative process for me is flows and it always has the last couple of years. I was totally an angst ridden teenager and <laughs> angst ridden, you know, college, college major. And I was always super insecure about the work that I was doing. I don't have any insecurities about my work. And it's weird. It's weird that I don't second guess. Yeah. And at no point in this process have I worried about what other people thought about my yeah. work. I still don't care what other people think. <laughs> and I, I also so hope great. that that does not change. Because it's what a lot has allowed me to be really prolific is that I don't think about what other people are thinking about. And I deep down have honored the fact that I don't give a shit what other people think. I'm trying to please myself first. And if anyone else likes it outside of that, great. I'm super grateful for that. But I, in the moment, I don't worry or wonder about what other people are thinking about my work. This year, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Steve Vassallo. Steve is an incredible guy. He's a general partner at Foundation Capital. He works in venture capital now, and he's had this entire career as an industrial designer, as an engineer. He worked at IDEO. He worked at a lot of different places and startups as a business-minded person and also a design-oriented person. He's the author of the book, The Way to Design. It's an incredible read and really fun visual book as well, so I highly recommend picking that up. And in this clip, Steve talks about his work with entrepreneurs, which he does on a daily basis as a venture capital investor. And he also talks about this syndrome he calls bolt-on syndrome, which is where a business kind of puts off dealing with something and just tacks on kind of a duct tape or Band-Aid solution onto something instead of from ground zero, from day one, finding what it is that really is a challenge in an organization and organically building that up from the ground up and helping it be part of the development of the organization and part of the solution not to be a problem later on. And Steve also talks about the importance of bringing design to the table of business decisions as early as possible and thinking very strategically about how design fits into servicing 
customer and user needs as much as possible. So let's hear from Steve Vassallo. And so after Ning, when you joined Foundation as an entrepreneur in residence, yep. they eventually convinced you to get involved in investing, and you've been here for about 10 years. I'd love to hear a little bit about, you're talking to, you're talking to companies all the time, you're talking to startups, uh, I don't know how many times a day. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see kind of as a whole with early stage companies that you think would be, you know, that would be helpful? I think, I, I you know, and... and Every company is different, um, and uh, and and there are probably very few kind of uh, you know generalizable mistakes that I that I see. But I think one or two certainly, and the, and these are things that actually came up um, in in the way to design project book project um, is what I call sort of the bolt on syndrome, and this is where um, people wait. Entrepreneurs oftentimes wait too long. To uh, to dig into the really hard question that they're that they're afraid of, um, and and oftentimes for designers um, that's this question of of maybe business model or distribution. How am I going to get this thing that I love uh, that that I sort of have you know such deep passion for? How am I going to get this thing out into the wild? The scary part. Yeah, the scary part. And so they tend to sort of you know bury their head in the sand uh, and and kind of hope that, that those things are going to work their way out and there are lots of you know folks who in many cases who have this sort of conventional wisdom of you know just you know whatever monetization follows use so don't worry about that but i do think um that the the most successful um uh, entrepreneurs are those who are are willing to kind of rush to the fight if you will who are willing to um who are willing to kind of address, at least contemplate how um, how that that business model might evolve. And by the way, I think the failure mode for most business-focused entrepreneurs is the same bolt-on issue, but from the other direction, which is, you know, I, I used to joke that like at IDEO, we would, you know, we'd be, we'd be called in as these 11th hour stylists when in fact design was this fundamental question that this should have been asked at the very beginning of the project. And so, you know, many folks tease designers for bolting on business models in the 11th hour. I think most business-focused entrepreneurs bolt on design in the 11th hour. So we're just kind of making the same mistakes in the opposite directions. And one of your investments is Designer Fund, who is solely focused on investing in designer-founded right. startups. So is that part of kind of what's core to you, that design should not only have a seat of at the table early on, but they should be at the, you know, at the beginning. At the yeah. beginning, I, I think it's absolutely the case that the sooner you have a designer who is pushing on some of the fundamental questions around what problem you're solving, around what is the what is the benefit to these end users, what's the benefit to humanity, that the sooner you have that voice in the room, the better those companies will be. And um, you know, you, you don't have to just be working on things that you know sound more perhaps philanthropic, but um, I think advocating for users the same way you might advocate for uh, for you know your your go to market or your sales strategy, advocating for users over and over and over again, and just making that uh, fundamental of the dialogue. I think as soon as you can is the is is the best. Finally, I want to leave you with some words from our guest Kimberly Bryant. Kimberly is an engineer. She's an incredible woman. She founded and is the executive director of Black Girls Code, an organization that is dedicated to educating young women of color around science, technology, engineering, and math. 
And she's done such incredible work to not only help the young women that her organization services, but really be a voice for change for people in the United States and across the world about how to think about reshifting the dynamics of what today's society and culture is and what it can be, how it can be better tomorrow. But in this short segment, Kimberly talks about the advice that she gives to young women that she works with, and this really applies to anyone out there. They're really beautiful words, and I really appreciated Kimberly's time on the show and her openness to having such a powerful and meaningful conversation while she was here for our interview. I can't recommend more highly listening to Kimberly Bryant's episode of Making Ways, and I also can't urge you strong enough to check out Black Girls Code and see the amazing work that they are doing. If you can contribute either by donating money or donating your time, that would be a really wonderful thing to do. So let's listen to some inspiration from Kimberly Bryant. So for someone out there who feels like an outsider because of their race, because of their gender, because of their orientation, whatever it may be, what do you tell that person, both who's in school, in the classroom, and in the workforce, about how to potentially get through it, how to make it better, and you know, give back and, and kind of not only survive, but thrive? I would say without a doubt, the first and foremost thing I always want to let people know is that you matter and you're enough. I think it's unfortunate that we we tend to live in a society that often tells those of us that 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 may live on the fringes or may not be um, included as a norm that we're not enough, but we are. We we have everything that we need right from the time that we take that very first breath. So they are enough. Um, so it's really also that I want them to focus on self and be able to tune out the negative messages that we see sometimes outside of ourselves in the world and be able to push through and focus on what you want to do that makes you happy, that makes you get up every morning, that makes you thrive and finding that because that's sometimes the harder thing to do. Um, But really being able to trust that, you know, every step that you take will get you to where you need to be. I didn't know that. Like you asked me like five, even five years ago, I would not tell you I'll be running BGC like that. I did not want to run nonprofit. Like, don't be honest. I did not (laughs) want to do that. Um, But here I am. And when I look back on some of the diversions and the changes in my path, they all led to here. And I think so, you know, trusting that and never believe giving up your belief on yourself and your ability and what you can achieve and change in the world, because we all have that ability if we keep going. Okay, that was our 50th episode of Making Ways. Yeah, woohoo! Um, (laughs) I'm so excited that you guys are here along for the journey and that you're listening along and that you're learning and you're sharing what you're learning uh, back with us. I hear from so many people, both at live events and online, about what you all have been loving about the show. So please keep that coming. I want to thank every single listener out there for supporting the show and for tuning in. Uh, all the fans, people who I get to meet at live events when we record episodes live. I have to give a great, big, giant, heaping thank you to Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions, 
Jim is the person behind the show who edits the episodes, who does the audio and sound engineering. He's also the person behind a lot of the music that you hear on the show. He's a very talented guy, and I can't thank him enough for supporting the show and being there working so hard to make Making Ways sound so good and get to you all every week. Thanks to Peyton Joyce, who does some writing and editing and copywriting for the show. Peyton, I really appreciate all your support over this past year. Thank you so much. And more big thanks to our partners and friends at General Assembly, at Root Division, at Invisible Talks, at The Bay Bridge, at Backerkit, at Scout Books, which is also our partner for today's episode, at Butcher Shop, and so many more organizations and individuals who have supported the show either by sharing it on social media or joining on and becoming a guest or just telling friends and colleagues about it. So thank you all so much. One year of making ways. This is so exciting. Thank you all for being part of the journey. Keep sending me suggestions for the show. Keep sending your feedback and we're going to keep going and keep bringing you more stories that hopefully inspire you and give you some great advice and insight on how you can make the best of your career and really move forward in your creative journey, whatever that looks like. Making Ways is engineered by Jim Heffernan at TTO Productions. Our intro music is by The Sandworms, and we've got some music by Jim in the mix as well. Be sure to visit makingways.co. You can see articles, and you can see the illustrations that I do of every guest, and more insights around the shows there as well, including show notes and so much more. You can also sign up for the Making Ways newsletter where we share live events and merchandise and lots of fun extras that we put into our newsletter. So be sure to subscribe there. If you haven't yet, we would love it if you would leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It means the world to us and really helps more people discover the show. Cheers to more Making Ways Ahead. Thank you all so much for your support, for listening to the show, and I'll see you next week.